0: This is part two of a few part video on different property strategies uh, in this particular video i'm going to cover three strategies for you number one hmos number two service accommodation number three brrr all three are great strategies hmos aren't my favorite the other two are my favorite watch the video to find out exactly why welcome This is the second video talking about different property strategies. So the first video I covered buy-to-lets alongside uh, commercial property. In this video, I'm gonna share with you a few more strategies and then there'll be some more forthcoming videos. In total, you'll have 16 strategies altogether. So strategy number two, which is again, quite common and popular is HMOs. An HMO stands for a house in multiple occupation, but before I go any further, I just want to put it out there to you that I don't have any HMOs. and I'm personally not a huge fan of HMOs, simply because uh, being a local city councillor, I know there's a lot of HMOs in Peterborough and in the area that I uh, work as a councillor. And the most number of complaints we get is about HMOs. Uh, And the point I'm trying to make here is, it's not that HMOs are bad, it's just they come with a lot of baggage, in my opinion. And some people out there, by the way, may disagree. That's absolutely fine. But they do require a lot of work uh, and a lot of headache from what I hear and see. So I don't actually partake or participate in HMOs. But this isn't about my personal opinion. This is about sharing strategies with you. So I'm going to share with you uh, what I know about HMOs and how they work, so you can make up your own mind. So HMOs, as the title suggests, is where you've got more than one person and one family living in a property, and you have a common and communal area where you have or you may have some shared facilities. So you could you could buy a house let's say it's a three-bedroom house and then turning that into three separate units and rent that out to three separate individuals or you can create further units depending on on the size of the house and have say four five six seven uh, or more people living in a single property and of course you charge them uh, rent per room Uh, so therefore the cash flow can be higher but just so you know there's more regulation involved and also it is they're not easy to manage so either you're more hands on or you have an agent who specializes in looking after hmos but from a cash flow strategy they are very very popular uh, and they work extremely well so let's l- now look into some of the things you ought to be aware of so the first thing is make sure you do your research because hmos don't work in every single area on top of that, you have issues with selective licensing from a local authority, you may have Article 4 restrictions in terms of planning, so make sure you've done the research and you go into it with your eyes open. Along, I would also strongly suggest that you speak to the HMO officer, Uh, as a local council, just to get their input, share with them what you're doing and get them on site. This is extremely important because you should look to work very closely with your local authority, but I would say that as a city councillor, but it is extremely important. There are regulations uh, in terms of health and safety, fire regulations and other things that you need to meet, so make sure you're fully aware of them. Ignorance is not bliss and it isn't an excuse. Make sure you've got the cash flow available and you fully understand how much it will cost you to refurbish the property because there is money involved in setting up an HMO and do not underestimate those costs because they can be significant depending on the size of the property. If you're buying the property yourself, look at the best ways you can add value to it and maximize your income uh, without annoying your neighbours and the people around a particular area because the, the larger the HMO uh, the more traffic that brings in the more people that are there the, the more kind of changes you've got so people are coming in staying for two three months sometimes moving out uh, so there's, there's there's different faces and sometimes the neighbours and other locals might get a little bit apprehensive about that and I'm a big believer and fan of keeping your neighbours happy the best that you can that's just something personal for me you may agree with or disagree with that that's your own choice and then make sure that you vet and find the right type of tenants who are going to look after your property and look after the area around your property but be fully aware that there are costs involved with an HMO and it does come with certain restrictions and it's gonna take more time and you may have some issues with the neighbors or the local authority I'm not saying that happens every single time. What I'm saying is, yeah, as long as you can manage that situation and the different scenarios and the different people, you'll be absolutely fine. But go into it with your eyes open. So, now let's like, have a look at some of the kind of pros and cons of HMOs. So, the first and, and the biggest one, of course, is higher returns and yields because where you can let's say rent a house for it let's call it 800 pounds a month i know it's different for different areas but call it 800 pounds a month if you've got an hmo and you've got let's say five rooms there uh, you could charge 75 pounds per room and let's just say there's four weeks in a month i know there aren't but let's just say keep it easy so you you'd get 300 pounds per room per month times five rooms gives you 1500 pounds that's a lot better than the 800 pounds that you would get by letting it out as a single let and that pretty much is the big and main attraction for people for why they want to go into the HMO. So the returns are really good, but you just need to be aware of the overall situation. The other benefit, of course, is that you've got more than one tenant. So therefore, what you're doing is you're basically spreading your risk because if one tenant leaves, you've got one room empty. You've, using this example here, you've still got four rooms on rent and it's easier to find a tenant to rent a room, usually in the current situation, than it is to find a tenant to rent the entire house. So you reduce risk, but you still keep some income and cash flow coming in. So that works well from a void period and from a cash flow perspective. So those are the kind of two things uh, that work well. Now, some of the downsides, like I've said to you, the first one is time intensive. It requires time, uh, much more time than a a single let or a commercial property. So make sure you've got the time available. I think they are more headache. I know some people on here might disagree and might might post comments and say, you're wrong, Shaz, absolutely fine. I can't be right all the time. But they are more more headache, both from a uh, community perspective and from a management perspective then there's more regulation involved again depending on selective licensing uh, and also uh, article 4 and issues with neighbors and the council uh, you need to bear all of those in mind alongside uh, regulation and then you need to uh, bear in mind that funding options are slightly restricted compared to a single let Uh, So it's harder to obtain a mortgage for an HMO than it is for a single let, but it's not impossible because there's loads of people doing it But just bear that in mind. All in all, I think if you're looking from a purely cash perspective Taking out my personal view of HMOs from a cash flow perspective, it works incredibly well You could have five HMOs and you could be making more money than if you had say 15 or 20 single lets And that's why HMOs are popular, there's a demand there, people can't afford to buy their own homes, they can't afford to rent a whole house, therefore they need uh, a single room, so that gives them this opportunity. But I think if it's managed well, done properly, and you have a conscious uh, investor, which I'm sure you are, uh, who's focused on keeping uh, their properties in good order, HMOs do work. I'm still not gonna do any HMOs by the way, but that's just a a personal opinion, and I will share with you some of the other videos in this uh, chain uh, for the strategies that I deploy, and I'll share with you exactly why I use them, and hopefully you'll see those are much better than doing HMOs, that's just my personal view. So the next strategy, and one that I'm a big fan of, and I like it, is serviced accommodation. I'll just put SA there for serviced accommodation. Now some people think this is furnished holiday lets uh, and it can be and it can't be it depends on the different type of services that you are making available but for our purposes we're just going to call it service accommodation and keep it really simple. So here you could buy a property convert it into service accommodation I'm not going to go into planning today and I'm not going to go into the mortgage requirements that's something that you can look at or I'll make a separate video for you on those two items but let's just, just keep it very simple you buy a house or a property could be a commercial property convert it into service accommodation and in a nutshell I'm not saying this is what it is but in a nutshell let's just call it it's gonna be simple, similar to a bed and breakfast but somebody comes books a room for a night or a number of nights they stay there and they pay you For staying there like you would do in a bed and breakfast. Two different business models but I'm just simplifying it for the purposes of this particular video. What the other benefit you have is sometimes people are traveling into a particular area let's say builders and contractors so they may want to stay two or three nights which opens up the opportunity for you to obviously have more regular uh, guests. Moving on from that you may have people who have contracts where they're working in a particular place for a whole month so if you're running a proper service accommodation business you can do a deal with them so you can rent that one room to one person for say 28 days or 30 days and that works well as well so from a purely cash flow perspective it's really good from a tax perspective it's really good from a business perspective it's really good Uh, you've got two options you can be the owner and the operator or you can be the owner of the real estate, the property, and then give it to somebody to manage for you as a managing agent, or you can do what they call rent-to-SA, whereas you give the the property to to somebody else who runs it as a serviced accommodation uh, business. But this is extremely popular, more competitive than usually staying in in price-wise. staying in a in a hotel and it works really well uh, you've then got online websites where you can book the rooms and to do your marketing uh, but overall this is more hands-on if you're if you're the owner and operator than if you had a single LED or an HMO. I think more work is required when you're running uh, service accommodation because when a, a guest vacates you, they're gonna clean the room, you got to make sure all the other services are available if you're providing those services. But as a business model, it works extremely well. And I like service accommodation a lot. So let's look at some of the benefits. Number one, great cash flow. Obviously, depending on the area that you choose, if you're in a a good area, let's say by the seaside, for example, or near the town center where there's a lot of footfall and movement, you you can have really good cash flow and it works extremely well. There's good tax benefits uh, in the sense that you can claim capital allowances, Uh, and if you're running a proper service accommodation business section 24 finance costs uh, and the restrictions don't apply to you and you can make pension contributions uh, from your profits. so there are quite a few tax benefits to having a service accommodation business and that works extremely well number three it's a business that you can scale and sell so if you if you create a good uh, service accommodation business, you're not just selling the real estate, you're actually selling the business as well. And I think that that is a good advantage that you don't get in all types of uh, property strategies. So, those are three key benefits. There are others, by the way, and I could sp- spend 25 minutes talking about service accommodation because it's a good strategy and I know quite a bit about it, but I'm just going to keep it high level for you now. Some of the downsides is, are that it, they require work and time depending on whether you're going to be involved or whether somebody else is going to be involved. So you need to manage that. As with any kind of uh, hotel or bed and breakfast, uh, there's more repairs and maintenance R and M. So you need to be aware of that and make sure you account for that. Uh, you've got VAT implications. Uh, if you go over the VAT threshold, so that's something that you need to bear in mind. And a lot of people sometimes get mixed up with that or don't fully account for that. So make sure you are aware of your VAT obligations. Uh, financing and funding uh, is not as easy as for uh, a single let so again be aware of that and the terms and conditions and the costs are different so make sure you you're fully aware of those but these benefits far outweigh this one here so if I was to choose my top three property strategies service accommodation would be one of them the next strategy which is number four here is B. Ah, ah, ah Okay, and then you can have as many hours as you like by the way here, but quite simply it's buy refurbish refinance and rent Again one of my favorite strategies uh, Simply because I use it a lot. So you buy a property uh, Usually below market value if you can and for that you obviously need to have a Motivated seller and you maybe go direct to vendor, but again, that's a conversation for a different way uh, for a different day sorry, what you then do is uh, Refurbish the the property and add value to it So, So that's where the refurb comes in refurb add value Once you've done that you then go to a lender to refinance and because you because you've added value and hopefully enough value uh, once you refinance at let's say at 75% you can then extract all of your funds or the funds of your investors or your JV partners keep the property so you can get rent from it and create cash flow and, and capital growth and because you've extracted all your funds Generally speaking, you should be in a situation where the property isn't costing you anything from uh, a capital point of view. That's not always possible because you might not add enough value to it. And that means buying correctly and buying well and making sure that you refurbish and keep the cost tight, which means you need to make sure you're fully aware of how much it's gonna cost you to actually refurbish the property. And you might need an expert to help you with that. Uh, But generally speaking, BRR works incredibly well. It's a fantastic opportunity. And this isn't, by the way, just for buying a house and refurbishing that and doing BRR. You can do this on a bigger scale where you're buying a commercial property, doing a commercial conversion, and then go down the BRR route, which is exactly what I do. And when we get to commercial conversions, I will share that with you. Uh, so the benefits here are exactly the same as a single let in terms of cash flow, low risk, once you. Uh, refurbish the property but another big benefit of course is you get all of your own money back so your money isn't tied in then you can recycle those those funds for your next project some of the downsides are it might up costing you more than you thought it would do so costs could escalate and that means uh, you may end up uh, struggling to get all of your funds back Which takes me to the next point which means some of your capital may remain in the project where you anticipated it wasn't gonna remain in the project and that's okay unless you've got an external funder who you promised would get all of their money back once the deal's done. If that happens, then obviously you're going to struggle with uh, capital here. You've got the a- added headache of both compliance and regulation uh, for carrying out work, but alongside that, you've got the, the, the complication of working with builders. And most builders are are good, just like experts and uh, specialists in different industries. But if you get the wrong builder, uh, it can be a lot of headache, and you might not be ready for that. So just remember, you're going to need to manage an additional relationship with uh, a lender here. uh, Sorry, a builder here. On top of that, uh, if you are using borrowing, usually uh, it's. bridging finance which is going to be costly and if you if you get the numbers wrong or if you can't get all, all your capital out you may end up paying higher costs for your bridging finance Because you might need to extend those terms if the bridging company wants to extend them so you need to bear that in mind but if you, if you, can, you can find somebody who can uh, basically help you fund the entire project without you using bridging then you're in a much better situation but overall i think BRR is a fantastic strategy works incredibly well and if you're not shown which strategy to use i would say start with uh, brr uh, if you've got the time and the appetite because it works incredibly well thanks for listening to wealth made simple you can follow and contact shaz on the facebook pages entrust property tax and the profits wizard You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.